Hey everybody, Scott Malcolm here from Money Mechanics. Just a quick message to say any information that we share during this podcast is general information only. Please do not act on that information without considering the appropriateness towards your specific needs and outcomes. Ideally, we suggest that you go and meet with a financial planner and get personal advice. Hi folks, Scott Malcolm here from Money Mechanics. Welcome along to our next episode of Looking Under the Hood, where we are unpacking the money stuff and getting along some interesting guests to talk about some different elements in our financial lives. Today, we're talking all about the share side of investments. We've talked about the the property exposure in the past and how you can borrow and and invest through leverage into different property types of investment. Today, we're going to be talking about the share market and also options in how you can gear into the share market as well as a part of your overall wealth creation plans. Today, I've got Liz Tian from City who's joining us. And Liz is often there doing education sessions with the ASX, uh, which is fantastic. And she's often quoted on... uh, other amazing financial journals and uh, in the media. So I feel really uh, privileged that Liz has offered to uh, come along and chat to me today. How are you going, Liz? Great. How are you? Yeah, really good. The share market stuff is often a big one for people in that people understand property because they go, oh, we can see it, we can touch it, we, we know how that works. When it comes to the share market, it is a little bit different because people get a bit confused or maybe even overwhelmed in regards to, to how it all works. So would be great to get some insights from you today. But I've been asking all my guests as they come onto uh, this podcast, we're all born into this financial system and we all have early memories when it comes to the the money stuff. So have you got any joyful or any happy memories that you remember from childhood or even uh, young adulthood when it comes to the money stuff? I was very lucky. So my dad, who is an accountant, was very much into investing and he invested in the share market And I remember when I was quite young, I didn't know very much. So I really liked the fact that my dad throughout his life shared with me uh, what he was doing with his share trading, you know, during the Asian crisis, during the tech wreck, and most importantly, even during the GFC. Wow. And and that lived experience is often really important. Uh, I remember the first time I bought shares and it would have been when I first started in financial services back in, in the early 2000s. And at the time, you had to ring up the broker and, and make that phone call to buy the, the stock, even though I'm not that old. There was uh, some online trading still. Um, but yeah, rang the, rang the stockbroker at the time and, and bought my parcels of shares. And they're like, okay, Scott, that money will come out of your bank account in three days. Thanks very much. And hung up the phone. And I sat there and I went, I've just bought bought shares for the first time. Okay, yeah, wow, that was a, a big experience. And look, my parents, career public servants, didn't do much in regards to the the share investing stuff until uh, I became a financial planner. So it is that lived experience. You touched on, I guess, some of those opportunities of buying in and selling and things. So when it comes to the share market generally, before we we jump into the the more exciting stuff around leverage, have you got any tips or any pointers that you would say to people if they've got shares or if they're looking at the the share market as an investment opportunity? I suppose just continuing on with what I learned from my dad, everyone's different and their style of investing is different. And what I learned from my dad was my dad took a very long-term view where he didn't mind if he missed the top of the market by one, two, three years. 
And really when he invested, it was, you know, these very, very big movements in markets where it was the Asian crisis, the tech rate, the GFC. And if he'd been still alive, probably, you know, around coronavirus, where it's very big um, movements, but it's long term. And then on the other side, you've got people who invest very short term and they're really looking for that intraday or a couple of weeks, couple of months. I mean, I've worked in the uh, share market, I think, pretty much since I graduated. I'm pretty lucky. And it's about finding the style that suits you, um, whether you're a long-term investor or a short-term investor. But if you are a short-term investor, you know, there's a lot of noise in the share market, a lot of luck involved, whereas longer term, you tend to have more, you know, structural uh, things unfolding. So it is hard in some ways to trade short-term and generally it's not advised for people to invest all their money short term, maybe just a little bit. Mm. I often say to people, it's just about having an investment framework. So you set your intentions and work out, right, what, what's my outcome when it comes to this stuff? What am I trying to achieve? Why do I have a share portfolio? Is it there for creation of passive income down the track? Is it there to help debt reduction down the track? Am I doing it just to create some stability or security outside of the, the property market? So it's looking at what your end game is and what your intentions are. It's been ex- exciting over the last couple of years because we've seen more and more exchange traded funds come to market. Uh, I don't want to age you, Liz, but you've been working in in markets longer than I have. Um, Only just though, only just. But um, we've seen a big emergence of exchange traded funds and I think they've actually been a big game changer in regards to how the market works. So can you explain what they are and uh, what people could look for if they're looking at exchange traded funds in regards to their investment approach? Absolutely. As you say, Scott, that's very much grown in demand and lots of new issuers in Australia with a lot more choice. So to give a bit of background, exchange traded funds have always been a lot more popular overseas. We're kind of still in that growth phase. In the US, it is very big. And that's how a lot of both retail and institutional clients like to trade offshore, uh, say in the US market. So exchange traded funds, Think of them as a little bit like an umbrella or a wrapper where you can either buy your shares direct and you might go, I like the banks and I like BHP and I want to buy a few supermarkets or you might go, I don't really want to go down to selecting the different stocks and I'll buy an exchange traded fund instead. And that gives you broad exposure to the market. Uh, For example, if you go, I do want to buy into the Australian share market and the US market because they have a lot of exposure to technology stocks, then you might simply buy a US equities ETF and an Australian equities ETF. They, you know, ETFs over not only shares, but you have them over fixed interest, cash ETFs. You know, there's a really wide range out there. Mm. And they tend to, you know, the, the fees in them tend to, if you go into the index ones, are uh, not that expensive. Yeah, they're, they're quite reasonable. And I guess that's a part of that investment framework that you put together and go, right, you, you want to try and manage your expenses and probably your turnover as much as possible in that. When you buy and sell shares, you pay brokerage every time you trade and you might pay capital gains tax as well if you're buying and selling. So you want to try and manage those elements in in your philosophy as well. And 
as Liz just said, there's so many new and interesting sector-specific trades that you can do now, especially in that exchange-traded fund market. Like I remember when probably the most exciting thing you could buy into was maybe a listed investment company back in the early 2000s, but you'd be paying a higher fee. So look, where fees get above probably 1.5%, in my mind, that's probably a, a high fee. And with the index funds that Liz was talking about, they're probably sitting under the, the 05 and so, Liz, I guess the other exciting elements that might be in the, the share market, so when you're starting to pull that portfolio position together, what are some of the things, put you on the spot here, but are, are there themes, are there things in the market, especially with COVID and people talking about the pandemic uh, as it keeps playing out, like are there themes or sectors in the market that you're liking at the moment? Again, all very general uh, conversation style of things uh, at the moment here. Yeah, absolutely. As you were saying before, Scott, really, you've got to first of all set what you're trying to achieve. Are you going to look at this longer term or shorter term? So longer term, you know, you probably think, oh, I do want some equities, but maybe I just don't want Australian shares. I want global shares because, you know, the Australian share market, I think, is only still around 2% of the whole global market. So these are things that you've got to take into account, you know, which countries I want exposure to. Do I want exposure to potentially Asia? Because, you know, they at the moment look like they're recovering from the pandemic relatively better. So that's one thing you can take into account of. I mean, speaking about the pandemic specifically and what you were saying before, how people go, oh, the share market, that seems so complex you know you can kind of bring it back down to a day-to-day level the share market really is about buying things a lot of things that people are familiar with like supermarkets Woolworths uh, coal banks people are familiar with banks so you might think I think the you know banks uh, they make good profits going forward I want exposure to them mining stocks so you can kind of relate to them in a day-to-day sense obviously through the pandemic What we saw in March was everything that was higher risk, like the Qantas and the tourism stops, like Flight Centre, even the banks got sold off. And why did they get sold off? It's pretty obvious with something like Qantas and Flight Centre, no travel for one, two or however many years. The banks, people were worried about their exposure to the property market Mm. and where there might be a lot of bad debts. Now, in the last week, Scott, we've had great news including today on the vaccine, and we're seeing a very big reversal of that where people go, actually, we might be at the end or closer to the end of this pandemic and, you know, banks are being bought again and some of these oil stocks, energy stocks are being bought again and the stocks that ran really hard, like the retail stocks, because we all know everyone was in lockdown and doing a a bit more shopping. Online shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They did really well and there's been a bit of reversal on that. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I, I love the stat that I think our, our top 10 companies, you said before, it's about 2% of the global market, but our top 10 companies make up something like 47 to 48% of the share market. And you think about, again, the four banks, correct me if I'm wrong here, Liz, but ANZ, NAB, Westpac, uh, Commonwealth Bank, you've got Rio and BHP. Uh, we've got Telstra, I think they're still in there, CSL, West Farmers and Woolworths. You look at that and that's almost 50% of our share market. And so that's quite a concentrated exposure. Uh, any other sort of tips in relation to portfolio structuring or is it, and I guess you did say as well around the, the trading side of things. So any, if people are feeling like trading, do you have an, a view on what limit to put onto that in, in regards to total portfolio position? Or Well, yeah, it really depends. I suppose it depends, you know, how far away you are 
potentially from your retirement, what your time frame is for that investment. I mean, if you're kind of starting your investment journey and saving up to build up a nest, like a deposit for a property, that might be quite different from, you know, someone who is close to retirement, they've built a really good nest egg and they just want a little bit um, of money to trade. So on that that's about your risk profile. How much are you prepared to lose? Because that's a question you definitely need to ask yourself if you're looking at short-term trading, which is high risk, and anything with leverage as well. And which markets you're going to go into. Yeah, definitely. And I've had clients say to me, oh, the share market's scary because I saw someone lose money in the share market or um, they may have been given sort of free shares like your Telstra shares or AMP shares or IAG shares as a part of a float, but they've only seen them ever go uh, backwards. And so that's where I guess that asset allocation or the selection of asset is, is really important at the end of the day. With gearing, and we've talked about gearing into property before on, on this podcast, but I guess there's so many options when it comes to gearing into the share market. And I guess people probably think of traditional gearing in that they go, okay, we've got a house, so we'll go and borrow money against the house and then jump in and, and borrow uh, that way. But what, what other options are there, Liz? The first thing when you think about gearing is uh, what money are you gearing? Are you gearing your money outside of super or within super because different rules apply if you want to start giving money within super outside of super um you know one of the most cost effective ways still is to borrow against um property and we're seeing those interest costs become lower and lower and more affordable so if you've got a bit of spare equity in your property you might draw a portion of that to invest outside of super into the share market. Obviously, there's also things like margin lending because some people like to keep it separate from their house. And then within super, because, you know, there's strict rules about how you can borrow in super, your borrowing's got to be limited recourse borrowing, meaning that if you happen to buy five securities and one of them went bad, that the loan provider can't take your other securities to offset against that one share. So if you had, you know, a blue chip portfolio and you happen to have bought ABC Learning during the GFC, they don't take your bank shares to offset your ABC Learning. So within super, it's got to be limited recourse borrowing set up with that structure in place um, or you can do that through an instalment warrant structure, which is basically your limited recourse borrowing structure. And outside of super, you can obviously do it through your house or a margin loan. And when we talk about margin loans, they're probably a big confusion for people. Like, why is it called a margin loan? What's what's it all about? So can you explain that in a little bit more detail for people as well? At the end of the day, I like to compare the different forms of gearing back to borrowing to buy a house. As you say, Scott, mm. people understand a house. They you know, understand buying property. So a margin loan, when you go to buy um, an investment property, you normally go to bank go, here bank, I want to buy this property and I want to borrow against it. A margin loan really is no different. You're going to the bank, I want to borrow some money to buy the shares and the bank takes the shares as security rather than your property. Now, why is it called margin loan? It's because you might potentially need to pay a margin to 
keep your gearing at a certain level. So if you compare that to property, you know, you might think, oh, I can start off with 80% gearing in my property, but you don't ever want it to go much more than 80, 90, 100%. And if it does, the bank might still say, oh, you need to pay down a portion of that loan. And that's really what a margin loan is. Every day, the bank is um, looking at your gearing level. And if you go to a certain limit, you need to pay down a portion of that loan. And I guess that's probably the really big thing between property and shares. I often, my view and philosophy is you need to have a bit of everything in your approach in that property is going to behave very differently to the share market. And so you want to have property in your, your portfolio as well as shares in the portfolio. But what you've just said there, People have got to bear in mind that the share market, when it's working and functioning uh, correctly, is uh, open between 10am and and 4pm every uh, business day. And so we can see evaluation of, well, how much does the market sense that Commonwealth Bank is worth or how much does the market sense that BHP is worth today? And I guess people have got to keep in mind that market theory, if we, we strip it back a little bit further, is just what us human beings are placing as a value on those investments. And so I guess that liquidity that you get from the share market can also create a bit of uh, volatility as well. So as Liz was saying, if you've geared up to, to 50% against your shares and the shares fall, then there could actually be a margin call where you're required to replace that. Whereas in the, sh- the property market, generally, banks aren't revaluing the property on a daily basis. So you do have a bit more of a smooth uh, transition in that regard. Absolutely. And I'd probably like to add to that, that, you know, if you are gearing, it's obviously increasing your risk and that volatility of the share market increases your risk potentially. So it's something that investors need to work out and be aware of. And But on the flip side, you don't have to be aggressive. I have a margin loan and I keep it at around 50% gearing and I know people who might only take 30% gearing into their share portfolio even within their super and just have a not a very highly leveraged strategy and they keep it around 30-40%. And if you do that in something that's diversified or say an ETF which is over the whole ASX 200, if you get at 30%, that means that you really need a substantial fall of potentially 60% in the share market, which we didn't even see during the GFC or in March earlier this year with the pandemic. You can still potentially have gearing in your portfolio and not have it too high risk obviously, if that suits your risk profile. Again, you've hit the nail on the head there, Liz. Before you just jump in and say, right, I'm going to buy into the shares, It's make sure you do your numbers. It's like buying investment property. Don't just go to a seminar and go, I'm going to go and buy investment property. Do your numbers. Make sure that you understand what the cash flow position is. Know what your break-even point is when you're going through that process. So you can say, right, this is what it's going to cost me on a daily basis. But also, this is what I need to achieve from a growth perspective to, to make this strategy work for me. And then get your gearing right. I mean, we often say to people, you don't want to be geared into the share market at probably more than 50% level. But again, that that's up to risk tolerances at the end of the day. But you just want to make sure you've got your strategy right and that it's aligned to what you're trying to achieve. And, and Liz, I guess on that, there, there's also different styles of products. So 
instalment warrants have uh, sort of come in, uh, into flavour a bit more as well. So they're probably something that people can consider with regards to gearing in super. And that's not just for self-managed super funds, is it? People who have got their own uh, sort of retail super or ability to buy on the market. So can you explain a little bit how they work? Because they're, they're sort of structured loan products, aren't they, that are put onto the share market that people can then sort of buy if they're appropriate for them? Yes, absolutely. So we structure the instant ones. It's actually a loan product that's got some structure around it so that it's available for self-managed super funds because the bank, such as City, um, we only have access to that one security per loan and that's why it's allowed in super. It's a limited recourse. If that particular asset happens to go to zero, your self-managed super fund or even if you buy it outside of super in your name, your other assets can't be used as collateral. So with the instalment warrant, that concept actually came about from the government float of Telstra and the Commonwealth Bank. And it's kind of people are starting to understand it a little bit more, this buy now, pay later concept. But in some ways, the instalment warrant means you buy now, the first part, Mm. your equity, and the loan component, you pay later. So just like you would with an investment property, you borrow a portion from the bank and you put in your equity, but you are the beneficial owner of that asset, whether it's a share or the property, you get access to all the dividends and the franking credits. And just like if you borrowed to buy property, in this instance, if the share price goes up, your equity goes up. If the share price goes down, your equity goes down. And what you're doing is you're paying interest to the bank on that loan product. Mm, yeah, and that's, um, I guess there's, there's so many different structures in there as well and that you can get the self-funding options that basically mean if you don't need the dividend coming back to you, you can buy and, and gear up that and then pay the loan off with that that self-funding um, nature and mechanism in the background as well. So they're definitely worth looking at, but again, within your investment framework and within the, the guidelines, I guess, that you set around your, your comfort of, of gearing. Any other? So with that as well, is so the interest rate, like we talked before, I guess you can go and, and borrow money against your, your house and I guess banks like that that physical property asset. So interest rates are probably the cheapest I've ever seen them. So with an instalment warrant or with even margin lending, we start to move up the probably risk to the, the lender from that perspective. So the interest rate goes up. So what, what sort of margins or what sort of increase do you see between, say, a, I don't know, home loans at, say, 3%? Like, is there another sort of 3% percent on top of that if we're looking at margin loans or other styles of loans? Yeah, so we've got different types of instalments and you know just like when you go to a bank you can get different features you know it might get fixed you might get variable um, type of loans and they'll have different rates. Our instalments we've got different types of instalments and they have different rates but generally speaking the interest costs on say the instalments which are the most popular what we call our instalment mini then our self-funding instalments the interest rate currently is 5.05 percent per annum and that's why i mentioned outside of super the most cost effective way is potentially to use your property within super you obviously can't do that so it's 5.05 percent and that is whether you're borrowing to buy an etf which is arguably lower risk than buying a stock like, you know, some of the more volatile stocks, the smaller cap stocks, you know, which move around a lot. So it's that mm. same flat rate across the suite. 
That's great, Liz. And any other tips, I guess, even for, for first-time investors into the share market or people who want to I- increase their, their exposure to the share market? Is there any sort of resources that you would point people towards? There is actually um, so much that goes into it. There's a lot of homework to do. There's lots of, you know, you talk to your advisor. Obviously, you can go to, like, the ASX and the exchanges like ASX and Chiax. They'll hold educational seminars. But it is very, very important that uh, any investors really learn the different risks and all the different opportunities, the different, you know, it's just such a wide, there's so many different things that you can invest in. And it is not only something that I think most investors should know because whether they know it or not, even if they're not investing directly in the share market, so they think, chances are their superannuation money is invested in the share market so you would want to know what's going on that's cracking. I love that, that you've, you've said that, Liz, in that people do say, oh, no, the share market scares me. I, I wouldn't invest in the share market. And then you start to unpack that a bit further around, well, how's your superannuation invested? And so whether you're in an industry fund or whether you're in a more sort of actively managed fund, you're going to have share market investment in there. So it is really important to educate yourself and, and upskill around that because, look, end of the day, shares, I think Warren Buffett has sort of been quoted in the past as one of the greatest share market investors uh, in, in the world. But he's often said you just look at the the share market as the individual businesses that are on there so as Liz was saying earlier think about the the company that it's in uh, or the industry that it's in and understand sort of what they're they're doing and look if you keep it simple in my view I think if you select companies that you understand if you're not sort of trying to chase a a trading opportunity or the next uh, best winner you can build a really nice framework around investing into the share market and and use that for advantage because I guess the liquidity and the benefit when I, I set my own business up about 10 years ago or 11 years ago now and now that's now ma- making me feel like I've known you for a long time Liz but when I did that I had a share portfolio as well as some property investment and so I couldn't just go and sell the bathroom of the property but I could actually sell down some of my share portfolio as I needed that capital to invest into the business and, and to get that going so I think it's important to have a, a, a blend of everything in there. Anyway, Liz, I'm doing a lot of talking now, but it's been uh, great to have you along. Thank you. Thanks so much, Liz. I'll um, add some of Liz's uh, resources there as well. So she's she's got some amazing stuff on YouTube through the ASX as well. So as, as Liz mentioned, there's some great education resources out there. So check them out. Thanks so much, Scott. Great to be talking to Liz then about building your investment framework when it comes to the share market. And so really important take-homes for you to consider is get your intention set, know what your outcomes are, think about why you're investing. Is it about income? Is it about capital growth? Let the market do what it's going to do in the background. Try not to get too caught up in the the noise of the the share market. There's always going to be something. There's always going to be media or news that will make markets react because it's people like you and me making decisions on a daily basis about how much we think something's going to be worth. So try to ignore some of that noise. Be aware of your emotional state. So again, best form of investing is to do it without the uh, emotional uh, fear and, and drive in the background. That's the hardest thing to manage. But if you know you're the sort of person that is going to struggle with that little element, maybe turn the news off or notifications off when markets are getting a little bit volatile. Importantly, buy quality investments. So buy good quality assets so that you can ride out market movements and again, long-term uh, outcome and view. Lastly is 
making sure that the expenses are, are low. So again, do your numbers, make sure you're aware of what the cost is if you are buying into a portfolio approach. Ideally try and keep that under that one, one and a half percent mark. Uh, and probably my final thing is make sure you get your tax management and tax strategy right. Just focus on the stuff you can control. Most importantly, it's about taking action and starting the process because the investment piece is very experiential, especially with the share market. You can start off with a smaller amount of investment money. You could go and put $500 or $1,000 into an ETF or an exchange traded fund and see how that works. Start to build up your skill set and start to build up your comfort at the end of the day. Thanks for listening and look forward to connecting with you soon.